I was looking through Seven Sage forums. I saw one of Sammy's free tutoring sessions and she really opened my eyes. It was like, oh, I actually have to do that deep analysis that I'm doing for blind review and do a little bit of it during the time to take. And I don't know why that didn't register to me in the other two years that I was studying. Hello, and welcome to the Seven Sage Podcast. I'm JY Ping, and on today's episode, I speak with Seven Sager Chris, who scored a 173 on his November 2020 LSAT. This was his fourth official score obtained after studying for three years. So without further ado, enjoy. I have Seven Sager Chris here with me. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you, JY? I'm good, thanks. So you have four official LSAT scores? Right. Your first one from September 2017, which was a paper LSAT, Stone Age LSAT mm-hmm. days, where you got a 157. <laughs> and then you have three flex scores in quick succession in the summer and fall of 2020. Right. Uh, and those were 160, 164, 173. So from your first one to your last one, you improved from a 157 to a 173, which arithmetic is three carry the 16 points. Yeah, 16 points. <laughs> no arithmetic required for LSAT. But yeah, no, I think that's a, <laughs> it's a 16 point increase, um, which is really impressive. Um, and that was over a period of three years because the paper test was September of 2017 and your 173 right. was November of 2020. So I'd love to find out, I'm sure our listeners would also love to find out about your LSAT journey. Maybe you can start with telling us a bit of background information about yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I graduated undergrad in May 2017. And around that time, this was kind of like when I um, decided I, I wanted to study for the LSAT. So I, I took a diagnostic around May. I, I took it in a coffee shop and I didn't really pay attention to the timing at all or anything. Um, and I got a 138. So I, I guess like that was the start of my LSAT journey. Mm-hmm. And then during that time, I began studying and up until like like the August administration in which I received a 157, I was going through Seven Sage during that time. I was going through the core curriculum, but I would say I was probably doing everything that I wasn't supposed to be doing. <laughs> uh-huh. Like the core curriculum stuff. Um, if I didn't understand something, I I, I kind of just like went on without really trying to like grasp the information. I went studying correctly either. I think um, like I, I would be studying like while I would be watching your videos while I would be like doing laundry or like doing chores or like in bed right when I was about to go to sleep. I would like watch some videos or something. <laughs> I would definitely not recommend doing that. But I got through haphazardly the core curriculum. Um, I took a few PTs and actually I never I never reached a 157 throughout like the like the four PTs I took during that time. And again, like this was when I didn't really know how to study for the LSAT per se. And I was kind of just treating it like a, like a final exam in college, which um, it's entirely, it's entirely different from. So I actually think that 157 is extremely inflated. I think the highest I scored was, was like a 153. So I I went into the exam, like thinking like, oh, maybe I'll get lucky and and like get a good score. But of course, um, uh, that wasn't the case. At that point, did you have a sense of what a 150 score meant for your law school goals? And did you have a sense of what your potential LSAT score could be? 
even back at that point in September before you take September 2017 before you took the official LSAT. Did you have a sense of how well you could do? I don't necessarily think I did, but I definitely knew that, oh, a 170 score is a good score that will get you into a lot of schools, right? So right. I wanted to definitely get that. But I, I don't think I had a sense of like how hard it would be to achieve that score. <laughs> yeah. And I should have known because uh, like looking at the percentiles, right? Like if you get like a 174 or, or 175, like you're already in the 99th percentile, right? Yeah. But to me, it just didn't register like how difficult and how hard that would be. And again, like like I was just treating it like a college exam that, oh, I, I just need to like know the stuff. Right. And if I know the stuff, I can just do it on the exam. Yeah. Within that framework, having taken four prep tests seems like overkill for studying for a college <laughs> exam. Right. Right. But yeah, like I was just taking the advice of like my pre-law advisor and like Reddit posts or online posts that say like, oh, you should just be studying for like three months or so. And I just, I just decided to take it right then and there. I got okay. a 157. Yeah. Were you pleasantly surprised because a 157 is higher than what you prep tested? <laughs> Were you like happy about that? Right. I was definitely um, happy that it was higher than what I tested. It was just totally, totally unjustified. But I thought I would get higher for some reason. Yeah. Because I've been studying for so long. And I think a lot of students can like relate to this. When you study for a college exam, I think you, you expect to do well, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just not how it was for this test. So even though it was better, like, like I still felt disappointed. <laughs> yeah. And I guess during this time, I decided to just, just take a break from it because I didn't really want to take it again for admissions to schools. And I was already working at a job. Like a full-time job? Right. So I got a full-time job around August. We're doing what? I was working at a nonprofit helping with communications and like volunteer outreach. Okay. So I just decided to focus on that. And I didn't really study again until like around spring 2018. I see. Okay. Yeah. So you took some, a few months off mm -hmm. after your fall 2017 right. exam and right. picked it up again spring 2018. Yeah. Yeah. And when I picked it up again in spring 2018, you know that saying that's like, it's insane to do things the same way over and over again. But <laughs> that's basically what I did. You're talking about like uh, insanity is doing the same thing over right. and over yes. again in the same way, but expecting different results. Exactly. Exactly. And so I basically did the same thing. But now I had a full-time job. <laughs> so it was like even worse. Yeah. I was maybe studying like an hour a day and it wasn't great studying either. Again, like I, I was studying like here and there and I just remember being on my computer and just like watching your videos and like falling asleep <laughs> because I just wasn't, um, because I wasn't engaged and no, no, it's, it's not your fault at all. It was, it, it's, it was definitely my fault. And after a full day of work, I feel like for this test, you need 100% of your mental capacity there. And after work, my mental capacity wasn't there because I was working right, right. for eight hours and it just wasn't cutting it for me. But I kept doing that. I studied like I started picking it up after a month. So I registered for one of the fall exams in 2019, a fall. And with all that studying, like my score didn't improve. It was still saying the same, like I was scoring around like the mid to low 150s. And I actually wasn't even hitting my 157 that I got wow. back in August of 2017. 2017, yeah. So I was just like frustrated. And then I decided to cancel that because... Kind of like at this point, my knowledge of the LSAT was getting a little better, even though it, it was nowhere near 
where it, it is now, but I at least knew that if I wasn't going to hit the score during my practice tests, it would be almost impossible to hit it on the real test day. Right. Like on the weekends, I would do a PT and not blind review it and like all that jazz that you're, you're just not supposed to do. And to whoever that's listening to this, please don't do what I did. <laughs> during this year, I think that what I did was just not good. And then I decided to, like around August, that was when I was realizing, okay, this isn't really working. I'm going to withdraw from that test. Yeah. And then I took another few months off and then started studying again back in spring of 2019. Okay. Okay. So let me, let me get this straight. So 2017 fall, you took your first test, mm -hmm. 157. After that, I took a few months off. Next year, spring 2018, you started full-time work at a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And then you did start studying, but you weren't really studying with good study habits. Exactly. Yeah. Like Half-ass studying. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Which was not helped by the fact that you had a full-time eight-hour-a-day job, which left you really tired. And Right. Um, right. Just So then you signed up, but withdrew from a fall 2018 exam. And by this point, a year had already passed. And then again, you took a few months off. Mm -hmm. And now 2019 starts and you're resuming your studies right. in the spring of 2019. Yes. Okay. Okay. So we're getting close. We're getting close. To, <laughs> we're definitely to, getting close. So, yeah. We're definitely getting close. And yeah, just having a full-time job was just... You're still at the nonprofit with a full-time job in 2019. Yes, I am. Yes. Okay. So just having this job and trying to study at the same time is so hard. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, I don't think I had good habits, good study habits. Even in college, my study habits were kind of really mediocre as well. I would study maybe like a week before an exam. It was definitely like a kind of like a wait for the last minute kind of person. Yeah. <laughs> so that really didn't help me and did not translate to this test, which requires the exact opposite, I think. It requires the accumulation of like habits yeah. that I just didn't develop yet, I feel. And during 2019 of January, I kind of knew like there had to be something that changed, that has to change because what I was doing obviously wasn't getting me results. So during this time, I actually finally decided to make a study schedule and commit to one. I decided to study in the mornings because studying after work wasn't working for me. Right. Because my mental capacity wasn't just there after work. So I started studying in the mornings, but I wouldn't really consider myself a morning person. So at first it was really, really hard. Mm -hmm. I would wake up and be like extremely tired and groggy. So then I think I finally figured out that exercise was a super important for me. So once I started exercising, I think everything started really falling into place with my habits almost. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the days I exercised, I was much more productive. I was in such a better mood. And the days I didn't exercise, it was kind of like, I don't want to be dramatic, but it was like my whole day was kind of ruined. Mm -hmm. Once I started exercising, I implemented 20 to 30 minutes of just running each morning. And then I would take a shower, have breakfast, and then immediately study for like one and a half to two hours. And then I would go to work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there were definitely days where I didn't study or days that I was slacking a little bit. But like for the most part, exercise really, really was the key for me to help me maintain that study schedule throughout January to fall of 2019. Wow, that's incredible. That's most of 2019 that you were able to essentially change your lifestyle to accommodate what the test needed. Yeah, yeah. And it definitely didn't happen overnight. The first few weeks of January were extremely hard. 
And then I finally figured out in February, huh, like when I exercise, I feel better during the day. So that's when I kind of like incorporated exercise. And it was definitely like little by little. At first, I would study an hour in the morning and then I would bump it up to like an hour 30, two hours the following weeks until I was like almost consistently studying two hours in the morning each day. Mm -hmm. And then I would try my best to take Saturdays off Mm -hmm. and then study around four to five hours on Sunday. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And then I also realized that I had that switch. So like at first I was taking Sundays off and then studying on Saturdays. But then I realized trying to study full the whole day after like a full week of work wasn't really sustainable. Yeah, yeah. Because I was just so tired from that week of work. So I switched it and I had Saturdays off. So then I could study on Sundays and be kind of like more energized from that day off. I think that's one of the hardest things about long-term planning and studying for this test is that Mm -hmm. if you decide that you're going to be studying for this test for more than three months, I really do think most people need to study for this test for more than three months. Certainly not all people. I'm sure we all know people who studied for this test for like two months and then just <laughs> yeah. did amazing, which is great, right? They're unicorns. That's, that's great. Yeah. But most people, you know, need to study for a long term, which does require a lifestyle change, right? You have to now fit studying into your life. Mm-hmm. Not just one day, not just, you know, a couple of days, but like every day, right? Or almost every day. Yeah. So you have to move things around. You have to like change your schedule and you have to start building a habit of it. That's right. the part that's really difficult. Yeah. It's yeah. the consistency, right? It's the consistency that delivers results. Right. right. And the consistency only comes from actually making it into a lifestyle, having a habit, whatever it is, right? Whatever your particular situation yeah. may require. For people who are working, it's extra hard because I do think, you know, I recommend people do work to study first thing in the morning, not last thing, mm-hmm. because you're fresh, right? Right, right. Absolutely. But this is all really great. Did you see improvements in 2019 in your prep test score? Yes. So during this time, I was really getting down to the nitty gritty almost. I was sometimes even spending like the whole morning just going over maybe like one or two LR problems Yeah, that I found like extremely difficult. And it was kind of like during this time where I kind of realized wait a second, it's not like the quantity of problems that I do. It's really more important to touch the quality of your studying. Yeah. And yeah, during this time, like I also implemented like a wrong answer journal too, where I made myself write down as if I was teaching someone almost like each LR stimulus and each answer choice. And even the questions that I got right, there would still be answer choices I maybe didn't understand. And I was like getting really, really nitpicky on that too. And this really allowed me to up my blind review score. So during the end of that, around like the fall of 2019, I was able to increase my blind review score to around like the 170s because of this process that I was doing, essentially Mm -hmm. being so, so nitpicky and so, so careful with like LR stimulus and answer choices. But my time score was still around like the high 150s. Sometimes I would hit like the low 160s. So around fall of 2019, that's kind of like where I was because of all that intensive studying that I did in the mornings and all that. That's great that you're able to blind review properly to expose what your theoretical ceiling is. Mm -hmm. And you exposed it to be in the 170s, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like, okay, well, without the stress, without the time constraint, on the basis of how well I can understand the logic and the grammar and parse everything out. And this is the score I'm capable of. 
now it's kind of more clear, at least, what I need to do. I need to work on just doing this faster. Mm-hmm. Right. So a couple of things you mentioned that I've heard invariably from high scorers. And, you know, people differ on like techniques, right? Some people like to highlight, some people don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people do like, I don't know, 15 questions in 15 minutes. Other people go for the 10 and 10 or whatever. Like people have different, but there's a couple of things that every single person reports. And you touched on two of them. One is quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. Everybody says that they're able to spend like hours on a single yeah. LR question. Yeah, absolutely. Just pouring over every word. Yeah, yeah. And figure, you know, just trying to figure out how do they construct this trap? How do they construct the question such that it was so unclear what the answer is? What was I thinking? Like, and then the other thing that you also touched on was the fact that you would write out your reasoning as opposed to just yeah. thinking about it silently in your head. It's a world of difference. It's yeah, absolutely. so difficult to write stuff out, to write out your thoughts. Yeah. That difficulty is something you need to embrace mm-hmm. because what you're experiencing is the difficulty of improvement. Yeah. Yeah. Those two points I just want to echo because just everybody says it like <laughs> without fail. Yeah. And I just remember sometimes it would just feel so demoralizing to spend two hours on like one problem for the whole morning and I would just get one problem done. But I knew deep down that like it was hard. I knew that I was getting something out of it. So I think that's why I kept at it. And I kept doing this process of deep, deep analysis with these problems that were like five-star LR stimulus on LR. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Now we are in the fall of 2019. It's been a full two years. Mm -hmm. The first year, not so much return for your (laughs) investment. The second year seems like you're uh, getting real serious about studying, implementing some really good study habits and seeing some results, Mm -hmm. not in the form of timed prep test scores, which you report still to be in the low 160s, high 150s, but definitely in your blind review score, which consistently break 170. Right, right. So during like the fall of 2019, I was unemployed during this time for a bit for about two to three months. Mm -hmm. I was getting very frustrated during this time because now I had the luxury to full-time study, Mm -hmm. but I still wasn't scoring. My time score still wasn't hitting where I wanted it to be, but my blind review was. And I kind of just like had no idea why and didn't really know what to do from here. I think during this time, I was looking through Seven Sage forums and I saw one of Sammy's free tutoring sessions. So I went to that and I was just like, oh, why not? I don't really have anything else to do since I'm unemployed right now. So I'll go to this tutoring session to see if it can help me out. And she really opened my eyes from one like group tutoring session. I wasn't, and from that moment on, it was like, I wasn't thinking about this test correctly, I feel at all. And I kept going to her free tutoring sessions And kind of like eventually learned that, and it sounds so simple when I say it, but I finally realized that I had to actually really understand what I was reading to get the questions correct (laughs) on the test. And I don't think I was doing that under time conditions. Like I was still rushing and I wasn't doing anything I was doing during my blind review. And that wasn't transferring to my time take. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. She kind of really opened my eyes to that. And it was like, oh, I actually have to do that deep analysis that I'm doing for blind review and do a little bit of it during the time to take. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know why that didn't register to me 
in the other two years that I was studying for this test. But I think one of the reasons is, is because you think that you need to rush because of the time constraints. Yeah. And I didn't realize that rushing and skimming was actually probably one of the worst things I was doing for myself when I was yeah. taking it during time. Yeah, totally. I can almost hear her asking you, what <laughs> does this mean? The sentence that you just read. Yeah. And forcing you to translate into your own words, the meaning being communicated. It's not about making contact between your eyes and the words on the page or the words on the screen. Yeah. As if that does anything. No, it's, that has to happen. Yes. In order for your eyes to receive the <laughs> data of the words, right. but then the processing is what actually matters. You need to understand what you're reading. So one of the things that I always do for video explanations where I'm trying to explain a wrong answer choice is just by breaking down the meaning of the statement by doing a grammar analysis. If it has no logic, then all there is is a mm -hmm. grammar analysis, right? Mm -hmm. If there is logic, then there's also a logic analysis on top of that. But right. if you just do that, then the reason why it's right or wrong becomes clear. If you don't do that, then you haven't understood the sentence. So then how can you do the second order thing of, of figuring out what the relationship between this answer choice is to the question, right? Without even knowing what the answer choice means. Right. And it sounds so like, obviously, yes, you're supposed to understand. Yes. But at the same time, like I wasn't doing it. It was such an eye-opening experience. You in particular, obviously, empirically, it's been proven that you need it. <laughs> I mean, the proverbial you, I think people do need someone else to point this out to them, to have the kind of the scales fall off their eyes. Right. Because without that prompting, you may not even realize that you're not understanding what you're reading. Yeah. Right. So just to have someone force you to be like, no, no. Yeah. Tell me again. Don't just repeat the words to me. Tell me what answer choice C is actually saying. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, okay, let me think about this. And then it's like, oh, that's the eye-opening moment, right? That's like, okay. Right. Yeah, maybe I wasn't doing that before. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny because one of the sections, it's literally called reading comprehension. <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't comprehending what I was reading at yeah. all while I was doing these sections. Oh, God. Chris, uh, let me tell you, it took me years after I was done with LSAT, after I was done with law school, teaching LSAT, to finally have the light bulb go off. I'm like, oh, it's called reading comprehension. <laughs> yes. And that makes sense because right. that's the one thing that they care about is, is, you know, this actually maps directly onto the kind of questions they ask in RC mm -hmm. versus LR. LR is logical reasoning. RC is reading comprehension because most of the questions on RC tests your ability to retain and draw inferences from the passage. It's like, right. did you actually understand what you read? What were the things that we said versus the things that weren't said, right? That makes up like 20% of the questions. It's just basically like, was it stated or wasn't it stated? Right, right. And then like another 20 or 30% of the questions, maybe even more, it's like, okay, given that you know that these are the things that are stated, what are the things that we didn't say, but you can reasonably infer yeah. on the basis of the things that were, which is like, oh yeah, that's what it means to understand a passage. Yes, that's what it absolutely. means to, to right. comprehend reading. Yeah. Versus logical reasoning, you know, you have to deal with like, flaws and stuff. That's actually mm -hmm. reasoning, right? Yeah. Of course, the two intersect. There's a large mm -hmm. intersection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if anyone out there is feeling bad, like it took me years to even understand <laughs> why the section was called reading comprehension. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like my goal before I met Sammy was like, when I was reading a passage, I feel like my goal was to just get to the end. Whereas yeah, yeah. my goal should have been to actually understand the passage. And when I switched that mindset in my head, reading comprehension started to become enjoyable to me. And yeah. it sounds so simple. 
I could understand what I was reading when I was doing so. So that was just so helpful. And honestly, I don't think that light bulb would have lit up if it wasn't for Sammy's free tutoring sessions. And then I decided to work with Sammy one-on-one as well because she was just so awesome. And we were working on things that I like never even thought about, like skipping questions. (laughs) At first, yeah, it was like the active reading and engagement that I had to do during time. But also, I just wasn't skipping questions either, which was a huge error, I feel, in my studies as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a difficult skill to acquire because it's not... Mm -hmm. It's not at all obvious that that's something that you need to do. Right. Whereas it's more obvious that you have to understand what it is that you're reading. You have to understand conditional logic. You have Mm -hmm. to understand all Mm -hmm. the finer grammar points. But you also have to understand that this is a timed test with any given section has around 25 questions. You have 35 minutes and you are an economist. Right. Right. You have to apply the law of diminishing marginal returns, you have to remember there's an opportunity cost to everything that you do, Mm -hmm. right? So that if you're spending five minutes to get the hardest question right, it may not be worth it. Right. If you could have spent those five minutes getting three other easier questions, right? Because, you know, raw points are all created equal. Yeah, yeah. One point versus three points, it's a no-brainer which one is better to purchase for five minutes of your time. Mm -hmm. So that's totally separate. That's like time management, that's strategy. Mm -hmm. That's like realizing that this test has some weird arbitrary constraints and you have to play, you have to game it. Yeah. So the test writers give you the questions in a particular order and it's not the most conducive. It's not the order in which the difficulty just kind of slowly, steadily, constantly ramps up. Mm -hmm. No, sometimes the questions at the end are actually way easier than the questions in the middle that that you get caught up on. Yeah. And and then sometimes the questions at, at the beginning are hard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember on my November LSAT flex, I actually skipped question two because I I couldn't understand it for some reason. (laughs) Yeah. And I was able to go back to it, but just for some reason, my mind just like blanked out. So what I prepared to do in that situation when that happened and when I space out during an answer choice was to just immediately let it go. Good. And yeah, just cut my losses and just go to three because I literally had like more than 20 questions to do, right? But initially, wasn't that difficult? Like initially, I always sense... Just reluctance and like, you know, (laughs) the way you said it, like you got to let it go, right? Right. For real, you have to let it go because if you don't, you're not actually helping yourself. Like you should be working on question three now. Why are you still caught up on question two, right? If you're still caught up on question two, you might as well just go back and do question two, which we already decided wasn't the optimal move, right? So yeah, focus on question three while you're on question three, focus on question four while you're on question four. And that also takes practice to be able to control your wandering mind right to be disciplined yeah yeah and during my studies I, I would have that kind of question hangover almost like when i would skip question 15 and then i would be on question 16 yeah. but i would still be thinking about question 15 yeah when i'm on 16 which that doesn't matter right now but the question 15 doesn't matter but i was still thinking about it it was almost like a ricochet effect with 16 yeah causing me to have to skip 16. (laughs) And then I would be on 17 now. And then I would be like, oh no, I just skipped two questions in a row. And now I'm panicking. It kind of just almost goes downhill from there. Yeah. And yeah, it was so hard to skip questions at first. I feel like sometimes Sammy was like kind of pulling my teeth (laughs) to skip questions. (laughs) And I just specifically remember this one time I had a session with her a week before she told me, she was like, hey, Chris, the next session we do together, I want you to choose two questions to skip around 30 seconds. 
And then she explained it to me. She explained me the reason behind it. So it was how I can learn how to skip questions, right? And yeah. and learn how to like, oh, I can skip two questions. I can choose two really hard questions to skip. And those could be my only two that I missed, right? And logically, it just, everything made sense, right? Yeah. But <laughs> I came to her the next week. <laughs> and one of the very first things was like, Chris, why didn't you skip any questions? <laughs> and it wasn't like I wanted to literally go against what she said to do. Mm -hmm. But it was almost just like ingrained in me that I had to get every question correct. Yeah. And I had to answer every question. Yeah. And I think just looking back at my whole school life from like elementary school to like college, besides the SAT, like almost everything is kind of just like testing your knowledge of skills. Yeah. And I never really skipped questions when it came to like knowledge because it was, it was already like you knew it or you didn't. But with the LSAT, that's just so different. It's so different. Yeah. Because with that, it's like testing your application, like applying skills to things, yeah. which is so different from knowing like, yes or no, you know this, right? Yeah. And to that point, there's a difference between understanding why you have to do a thing and why this strategy is optimal mm -hmm. versus actually executing on that strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You can fully understand why if you were to choose two questions to skip in 30 seconds, that will result in a optimal score. Whereas if you didn't, it would be a suboptimal score because you're letting the test dictate to you mm -hmm. which questions to dump time on, right? And that's not good because the test isn't trying to optimize your yeah. raw score. So you can even understand like why it makes sense. Uh-huh. Cost benefit analysis, opportunity cost, all that. Yeah. But then it's still difficult to execute that strategy. <laughs> right. And it still feels weird the first time you do it. Yeah. Right. So right. It's like my brain. I was thinking logically without the time. Yeah. But like once the clock hit, it was like my brain turned into a monkey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And decided not to do what I wanted it to do and what I was trying to prepare to do, which was to skip questions. So I literally had to practice skipping questions. Yes. Doing untimed work mm. and just practicing it untimed, pretending like it was timed. So I would do like untimed sections and pretend it was timed. And I would kind of practice skipping when I was supposed to. So like one of the decisions I make when I skip a question is if I don't understand the stimulus after a first read through and I was trying my best and I was like fully focused and engaged and I didn't understand it, I would skip the question. And that was something that I had to like practice doing. Yeah, no, it's great. That's great. I mean, even if I could even back up a step for that, you have to come up with that exit strategy. Right. Right. You have to come up and be like, these are the conditions. Like under what conditions am I going to skip? And you mm -hmm. just declared very clear conditions. Right. This is for LR, right? Of course, you have different skipping mm -hmm. conditions for different sections, but for LR, mm -hmm. if upon first read of the stimulus, I wasn't like not focused, I was focused, but I just really couldn't understand it. Okay, that's my exit condition. Mm -hmm. That doesn't have to be everyone's exit condition. Right. I actually have a slightly different exit condition, but I have a condition, right? I still, I mean, I don't get to take prep tests that often because they haven't been releasing very many, but yeah. I have to like remind myself like, Otherwise, I'll still fall back into the habit of just getting sucked in to a time sink, to a time trap. Right. Yeah. And then I also created strategies when it was okay for me to reread as well. Yeah. Like when I was down to two answer choices, I kind of decided like during that time, there was a high likelihood that 
the error that I made was probably in the two answer choices that I left open. Mm. So then I would give myself a chance to reread, like if I left open A and B, I would reread A and give myself a chance to reread B. But even then, when I would reread, I would make errors rereading, like I would reread faster when I was actually supposed to, hold on a second, reread slower and make sure I'm understanding it. So I had to practice that too. Yeah. And what I would do to practice being under 50-50 conditions, I would literally leave A open to kind of like try to be in that 50-50 condition because I feel like sometimes it's hard to practice that because sometimes you won't be in it, I guess. Right. You're just creating conditions so that you can actually practice this strategy that you've come right. up for yourself. Yeah. Right, right. So during that time when I was working with Sammy, we worked together, I think, for like two months. And then I actually got a new job. And uh, unfortunately, the job I got was really, really time consuming. Mm -hmm. And some days I was working like 10 hour days. And I would also be working on the weekends sometimes as well. Oh, wow. I was essentially working at a, a Title I middle school. I'm not familiar with that categorization. Yeah, yeah. So Title I kind of means a middle school that's classified in a low-income district. Oh, I see. And I was working at this middle school as a before and after school events coordinator and club coordinator. So mm -hmm. I didn't expect it to take a lot of time, to be honest with you, but there was, there was actually so much work involved. And I thought I could study while doing this. But unfortunately, because I was working like so much sometimes, I was only studying, if anything, like an hour a day, even if that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Are we in 2020 now? I got the job in December of 2019. So yeah, basically now it's 2020. Me and Sammy stopped working together for a little bit just because I couldn't devote enough time to it. So like during this time, it was kind of like a break, but not really. Like I still really wanted to get my practice up to where it should be, essentially. So like I tried to study, but it really wasn't fruitful sometimes and some days. So then the COVID pandemic hit in March. Right. When that happened, all the schools closed down, right? Mm -hmm. And I found myself in a situation that, oh, I have some time to study now. So me and Sammy started studying again. And yeah, during this time, it was basically honing what we did back in the fall of 2019. Right. And so now we're quickly approaching your second official LSAT right. score, which again, as a reminder, July 2020, mm -hmm. where you got a 160 and that was a flex test. I think that was the first flex test offered. Yeah, yeah. I think it was as well. I think it was as well. So yeah, during this time, we were just honing what we talked about previously back in the fall of 2019. I remember hitting my first 170 timed, which was such a great feeling. <laughs> yeah. And that was around May, I think. And sorry, I think that was around June, actually, when I hit my first 170. And as the July LSAT started approaching, I started becoming really nervous. <laughs> Were you consistently scoring in the 170s on your prep test or was it just that you managed to hit it once? So I, I managed to hit it three times. I managed to hit it three times. Oh, good. Yeah. 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 And there were definitely dips between then. And I think yeah. the dips could be contributed to kind of me thinking that, oh, I hit the 170. So I can do it again. No big deal. And it's like, mm. I, think I was kind of thinking to myself, I've already did all the hard work, so I don't have to do any more hard work. But uh, that, that couldn't be farther from the truth. And I think it took me some time to realize that when you're in the 170s, it's actually like the hard work got you there, right? So yeah. why stop doing it, right? And I started to realize that as well. So when I was stopping blind reviewing, I guess, when I should have been, uh, yeah, yeah. And I was not doing as much 
of the intensive writing analysis that I used to be doing. And I think that was contributed to the dips in the score, essentially. Yeah. Right. And then like two weeks before the test, I was like really nervous. I spent essentially almost at this point, like two and a half years on studying for this test. And I remember specifically just trying to do an LR section and like closing my tablet halfway through <laughs> because I was just so nervous about the test. Mm. For some reason, a week before I kind of was starting to get used to, I guess, the anxiety that I was having. And during this time, me and Sammy were talking about it and we were saying that, oh, it might be a good idea to possibly cancel this score just because of how nervous I was feeling. I'm sorry, not cancel this score, but withdraw from the test. But I decided to just sign up for August then and there. But during the last week, I think I started to calm down a little bit more. Like subconsciously, I think because I signed up for August, it wasn't like my only shot. Right. And I had another shot. So it was kind of like I felt a little more comfortable with right. taking in in July. Right. And the week before the test, I scored a 170 on a PT. It was actually PTC2. <laughs> and then me and Sammy were talking about it. And I just decided to take the tests that week because of the score I got the week beforehand. Right. But still, we were still going to study together and just assume that I didn't do well for August. Right. Like after you finished up with the July test. You weren't going right. to take a break. You were just going right. to assume that it didn't go well and continue with your prep for August. Exactly. Exactly. That's really smart. I would expect that that probably softened the blow when you did find out your score. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I got the score back and I got a 160. And I just remember being like pretty positive about it. I was like, oh, okay, oh. whatever. I'll just yeah. get a better score in August. Right. And I think it was because I already accepted that I was taking it in August. And I truly did accept that I'm going to take it in August no matter what. Yeah. So I think that's why it didn't really matter. That's to a me. really healthy mindset. I can imagine a very different and darker reaction mm -hmm. of, you know, I spent all this time studying and all I have to show for it is a 160. Yeah. Right. Like all that time just down the drain. Yeah. Right, which is a very negative way to look at it. But I like how you looked at it because, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. You were justifiably confident because you have the prep test scores to back up your confidence. Mm -hmm. On top of that, you were justifiably optimistic because you had already decided even before the July test that that one was just practice. Right. right? That the real one was going to be next time. Right. In August. Right, right. And I think it was because of those dips that I kind of decided that I was already going to take it in August, no matter what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you weren't consistently in the 170s on your prep test. You would right. hit 170 every once in a while. So, mm -hmm. so you knew it was possible that you would dip down. And of course, with test day nerves, right. people tend not to outperform their prep test on test day. People tend to underperform on test day. Right, right. So yeah, that happened. And I, I really wish they disclosed it so I could see what happened. Because to be honest, like I, I kind of don't really know what happened. After the test, I kind of was like calculating like maybe like the lowest I could have got. And I was like, okay, the lowest I could have got probably 167. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was way off the mark. <laughs> and I kind of wish I knew why I was so off the mark. But I think taking like another PT and more PTs down the road towards August, I think I kind of like realized why. And I think that came back to like two reasons specifically. Yeah. I think I was subconsciously using like some RC strategies. 
and putting them in LR. And with RC, my strategy was to be like a really aggressive in the answer choices mm-hmm. because I would spend a lot of time in the passage. So I would definitely still read the answer choices carefully, but like I would give myself maybe like less than five seconds to decide what the correct answer choice was. And I think I was doing that for LR, which wasn't that good because with LR, I feel like I needed to like brood a little bit more and be more analysis oriented. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things that was happening. But like the other thing I think was happening was I was like deciding kind of when to implement strategies and when not to. So like for like flaw questions, like one flaw question, I would do it correctly and implement like the strategies that I decided to implement. And then like the next flaw question, I just won it Mm. for some reason. And I was really inconsistent with when I was implementing strategies and when I wasn't. And I was inconsistent with following my process. And I think that's probably what attributed to that 160 in July. Mm -hmm. But so between July and August, it's only one month. Right, right. So in July and August, I actually didn't hit 170 again until like the very last PT. Before August. Yes, which was a 172. And I think that was attributed to like what I was saying previously. But then again, I got a 172 and I know I can do this. And it was because like with that 172, I was following my process to the T. So if I just do that for August, that should work, right? Yeah. And then so I took August. So I had the logic game section was first. And unfortunately for that section, the proctor interrupted me. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I think it was because like I was writing and I think my head was a little too down because sometimes instinctively I just like write with my head a little crouched towards oh, my... Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. And that kind of like really, really threw me off. Oh. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think my logic game section was, I think it was like in the middle of like game three and I had to like really put my pencil down and just like almost reset. And yeah, I... Ended up finishing game three, but I didn't get to game four, unfortunately. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And I think that kind of just threw me off for like everything else. We didn't talk too much about LG, but I assume that your LG was fine. Like you were typically getting minus zero to minus one, minus two, maybe. So actually, no, that's not the case. So we're winding back to like June-ish. Mm-hmm. My LG was like a consistent like minus four, minus five range. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you had room to improve on LG as well then. Absolutely. Right. Right. And again, it was because I didn't have a good process to do LG like I did with LR and RC. So it was kind of like- You were just like intuitively approaching LG. Yes. Yeah. Flying by the seat of your pants haphazardly, but not process oriented. Correct. Right. (laughs) Like when I do the videos, I have a very artificial process when I do the videos. Mm -hmm. That process isn't- the process that you have to follow, but it's there to illustrate the fact that you need to have a process. Right. Right. And here's an example of a process that you can use. Yeah. If it doesn't work for you, that's fine, but you know, alter it so that you have a process. You can't just go in there and be like, ah, whatever, I'll be fine. Right. I mean, maybe you can, who knows? You know, we talked about people who can just study for this for two months and be fine. <laughs> yeah. But most people, you know, you need to know what you, like I always tell myself, like I didn't always used to do this, but I have uh, switched over and now I always do, which is I always look at the acceptable situation question if they give us one. Right as I'm setting up my game board, I just knock that question out. Right. It gives me a chance to double check my rules. And that's process. Yeah. Right? That's like something I always stick to. Yeah. Yeah. So I think honestly, if I was interrupted with like LRRC, I think it would have been okay. But because I was just like getting my process down and it was kind of still a little new to me, 
I think that kind of like threw everything off for August. Yeah. And so that happened. I decided to submit a complaint to LSAC, but at the same time, I was still like very curious as to what I got. Right. So they decided to offer me a refund, but like if I got the refund, I would never know my score. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I decided to find out my score instead. And then I got a 164 on that test. That is such a close. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I feel like that is. That... <laughs> All right. I'm not going to say anything negative on the record about the LSAT, but <laughs> like, okay, anyway, so you got your score, 160. So yeah, got a 164. <laughs> and like during that time, I think that's kind of like when the negative emotions started pouring in. Yeah. And plus like I had like a lot of personal things I was dealing with too during that time. So I think from like August to September, it was kind of just like, not only was I having like personal problems, but then I got really sick. <laughs> and the doctors didn't even know like what was happening to me. It wasn't COVID. It wasn't COVID. It wasn't COVID. Okay. It was something I don't even know, but I got really sick during this time too. And honestly, like, I think it kind of had something to do with the negative emotions I was feeling too. Mm. And how with all that stuff, with the LSAT going on and stuff. But during this time, I also decided to resign from my job that I had to like focus full time on this test as well. So it was kind of during this time, I guess a little bit before August too, but I think during this time, I was also studying with two very awesome study buddies of mine. And I think that really helped me solidify my LG process and even hone my LR and RC process even more. So yeah, and it's just kind of nice to have people that it's not nice that we're like all suffering, but at least like we kind of get to suffer together. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And with their help, they really, truly helped me. And I hope I also helped them really get to the next level with studying as well. I think it was really helpful because like we were all studying with Sammy previously. So we had the same strategies as well that we we're working with. Right. Same approach, same philosophy. That's great. Okay. Right, right. And it's just so funny. Cindy, one of my study buddies, she was a very, very type A person. She really was like sticking to rules and any rule that Sammy gave her, like she would follow to the T. Mm. Whereas I was kind of like <laughs> a little bit more of the exact opposite. I used to think of myself like really as a type B kind of person. I think before the LSAT even happened, like my personality was kind of, oh, you know, rules were made to be broken sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I definitely approached the test like more with a, like a big picture kind of thing. And she was very more like structured. And I think that really complimented. Yeah. Because of that, like I was able to become more structured and she definitely kept like calling me out when I was doing my process correctly, which was mm. so helpful to me. And then I was telling her when she was a little too much into the weeds and when to look mm. at the big picture and be a little more creative, I guess, with something. Right. So that really, really helped with my studying. And I think that really helped me get to scoring in the mid 170s, right before the November LSAT. November. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then you went in, took the November, mm -hmm. got your 173. Yes. Yeah. Happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully. Thankfully. Yeah. I remember going to that test and just thinking that was the best I could have done and I could not have done any better. So yeah, I'm so glad that it worked out. And I am so thankful to my study buddies and to Sammy for helping me with that. I don't think I could have done it without yeah. any of their help. That's such a wonderful story. And I think if you just look at your score on paper, mm -hmm. it's very easy to draw some premature and inaccurate conclusions. Like for example, your 160 from July mm -hmm. to 173 in November, 13 point increase. 
happen in just six months. Yeah, yeah. Months. But I was actually already scoring around the 170s. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The work had already been put in for years, mm-hmm. total of three years, right? Yeah. Total study time for those three yeah. years. I would say the first two weren't very great, but definitely the third year, I think, was really yeah. where it started. Sounds like meeting Sammy, joining her free group tutoring session was a pivotal moment. Yeah, yeah definitely. Studies. Definitely. But I would attribute like year two and being able to develop habits was actually also yeah. very helpful. That's true. That's also definitely a pivotal yeah. moment as well when you actually worked the test into your life. Right. A little before the November LSAT, I also started hosting free tutoring sessions as well. Oh, so you did that as you were still studying for the test. Yeah, yeah. I decided to do it around. That's great. I tell everybody to do this and I'm always so delighted to find people who actually take <laughs> take me seriously. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a really great way to study, to even as you're studying. Like once you hit certain prep tests, once you hit certain scores on your prep test and you feel comfortable doing this, like I think it's a really great way to just change it up a bit. Like it's, you know, studying by yourself, studying with a study group, mm-hmm. studying through teaching. Those are just different methods of studying. Yeah. The variety I think helps. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I just remember my very first one, I think there were like 80 participants and like I was so, so nervous <laughs> because I did not expect that many to come. And I was just looking down at the participants on the Zoom. And when I saw like the 80 number, it was just like my heart just like skipped a beat. <laughs> but I think it was a lot better through Zoom because I would just ask for volunteers. So it was kind of like pseudo 101, one-on-one, pseudo one-on-one. Right. And that did help a lot because I wasn't talking to actually 80 people, but technically I was like just talking to one. Right. Which was really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So after you got your score, Mm -hmm. you started tutoring more on 7Sage. Yeah. And I'm guessing simultaneously you started thinking about applying to, although it's kind of late in the season. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. I was kind of like brooding over whether I should apply this season or not. And I ultimately made the decision to delay a cycle just because like you were saying, it was a little late in season. Also, secondly, like I wasn't even thinking, like I know I should have been thinking about my personal statement and which law schools I should go to. But really my focus was just like 100% on this test. And I really didn't think about where I wanted to go or like any of that until I got my score. Right. When that happened, it was already kind of like December. Yeah. So it was kind of like if I should make the decision to apply now or wait a cycle. And I think I decided to delay a cycle to kind of like also research more about schools and yeah, and all that jazz. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. I mean, if you're not in a rush, mm-hmm. your odds will improve mm-hmm. because you'll apply early. You'll have had time to really work on those statements, whether it's just a personal statement or if you're going to do personal and diversity statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then, With previously working in education, I really enjoy tutoring and helping students achieve their goals as well. I don't think I would have ever got the score I did if I didn't go to that one tutoring session, that one free tutoring session with Sammy. (laughs) So I think that's why I do free tutoring sessions now, because there could be someone out there that I can help open their eyes to and say, oh, hey, by the way, you actually have to understand what you're reading too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That would be amazing. We just released the conversation with Sammy a couple of weeks ago, even though that was taped Mm -hmm. back in pre-COVID days. And I feel like I've stepped into a time machine and now I'm talking to one of her successful students. (laughs) It will be a distinct pleasure of mine to talk to one of your 
successful students <laughs> yeah, down the be, road. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. But yeah, I've been doing it almost every week, free tutoring sessions. And yeah, I just really enjoy it as well. And I really enjoy tutoring too. But yeah, that's basically what I've been doing so far since December. And what are your plans until, I guess, if you submit your application super early, that would be fall of this year, 2021. Mm -hmm. What are your plans until then? I think I'm just going to continue tutoring. I might decide to possibly work in a field of law that I am interested in. I would really like to do something public interest related Mm -hmm. when I do go to law school. So yeah, I'm definitely looking for things to also apply for regarding like public interest work as well. Right. Very cool. Have you made any progress on your personal statement or are you still not thinking about that? <laughs> yeah. So I do have a rough draft of that. Oh, good. That's in the works. And I'm thinking of writing a diversity statement and all that as well. I've also been researching some schools too. I know Sammy goes to Northwestern. So it'd be so cool to just go there and finally meet her in person <laughs> because all yeah. of her stuff had been through Zoom too. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I haven't really, either than the personal statement and all that, I haven't really done much else. <laughs> Well, that's fine. You have plenty of time to put together (laughs) what I think will be a very compelling application. (laughs) So Chris, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for sharing this wonderful story. I learned a lot. I'm sure listeners did as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm more than happy to. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for making Seven Stage and allowing us to be doing this. Oh, you guys allowed me to have my job. So thanks goes the other way. (laughs) But what's the best way for students to find you and get in touch with you? Just DMing me on 7 Sage would be totally great. Okay. My username is just Christopher with two R's. So it's very easy. (laughs) (laughs) Was one R taken? Yes, it was. I wanted one R, but then I was like, okay, I'm going to find out who has one R with them. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I'll link your 7 Sage account profile in the show notes. Okay. Thanks again, Chris. Yeah. Thank you so much, JY. Okay, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. It's JY again. Thanks for listening. It's always a pleasure for me to have conversations with students, but this one was a special treat because, as you heard, Chris was Sammy's student. And if you haven't listened to the episode with Sammy yet, you should. You'll see for yourself why Chris attributes so much of his success to her. And if I'm lucky, maybe in the not-too-distant future, I'll get to have a conversation with one of Chris's students. Maybe that student could be you. So study hard. That's it for this episode. Take care of yourself and see you next time.